Well, I want to welcome you all here today, especially those of you that are visiting with us, and welcome over there in the venue. And I want to thank uh, Megan and Jackie and Claudia, a trifecta of gals over there leading everybody in worship. I'm sure it was fantastic. Um, thank you, Pastor Joel, for uh, pastoring our, our venue. Uh, if you're watching online, I'm glad you're with us or on the radio. Praise the Lord for you, and especially those of you that are visiting with us for the very first time. Uh, pull out this uh, little sheet of paper here, your notes. If you're watching online, you can just click on this thing, and it, it'll pop up. But everybody pull this out. It's just a way to kind of track um, the notes and kind of follow along with us. And then we have our daily meditation page, which kind of goes right along with the message that you can use in your small groups or really every day, just kind of sticking with the, uh, with, with, with the message. Take advantage of, of, of that. Before I get into this, just uh, want you to know, next week we start a brand new series here called One in Christ. And um, next weekend, right up here at this pulpit will be a, a great friend of mine. Some of you know him. Uh, he was a pastor here at Big Valley Grace for a number of years, uh, Mike Moore. And um, Mike was on staff here at Big Valley Grace. We weren't in this location. We used to be on Stanford Avenue. Mike and I actually had a, a, an office next door to each other over in the old, what we used to call the J Building. And some of you will remember that. And at some moment, uh, we sensed that Manteca needed a good church. And we sent Mike and his wife, Grace, over to Manteca. They started a little Bible study and today, uh, Crossroads is that big church there when you're heading down the freeway in Manteca. They got the big billboard. I think it's one of the largest churches in Manteca now. And uh, Mike was on our staff for uh, many, many years. And we had lunch the other day. We stay in contact with one another. But one of the things I didn't know was Mike's going to retire. And I thought, man, what perfect timing that he would be able to come back to the church that sent him out and he is so excited about being here. And I want you to know that um, you know, I'm going to be here all three gatherings, and I know that we're all going to hear from the Lord. I know that Mike has been thinking and praying about what he would want to say to his church family here that sent him out almost three decades ago to start a work and reach people in the Manteca area. And so next week, you're going to want to be here. You're going to want to bring a friend, because I guarantee you, it's really going to be a, a special weekend. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having him here with us. Well, uh, to begin with, I, I want to do a quick review of last week's message. I, I had a, a whole lot of emails, more than, more than normal after last week. A lot of letters, texts, comments, phone calls, saw people all over town, Barnes & Noble, wherever it might have been. And... Um, uh, I, I know God was, was speaking to, to a lot of you, just like he spoke to me as I was preparing for it. And so I decided to do a, a, a two-parter, make it into a, a two-parter. And what I did was, last week I, I began by looking at the, the prayer of Jesus in, in John chapter 15. Jesus said, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Here we have Jesus praying for his followers, obviously, uh, that were there at that moment, but it's also a prayer for us. And you see the heart of the Lord is that he wants us here. He wants his believers on planet Earth, which is kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, why doesn't um, uh, God just take us home when we receive him into our lives? I mean, you know, it kind of makes some sense that once we receive Christ, we're gonna to go to heaven anyway. Why doesn't he just take us out of here? You see, there's a, there's a reason why he wants us here. And here he is praying to the Father, Father, don't take the believers out of here. I want the believers on planet Earth. I want the believers in Modesto, California here, or Stanislaus County, I, I want them here. Just protect them from the evil one. And the question that I kind of hammered home last week was why? Why does God want us here? He wants you here, beloved. Why? Well, Paul said this in Galatians chapter one, but God had special plans for me. 
and set me apart for his work, these special plans even before I was born. And the same thing is true for all of us who name the name of Christ. I don't know what it is that God has set you apart for. I don't know what his special plans are for your life. I just know that he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, a will for your life, a, a destiny for your life, just like he did the, the apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter two says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things, the, the special plan, if you will. We can do the will of God that he planned for us long ago, before we ever gave our lives to Christ. Before we were ever born, God knew us in his sovereignty. And he chose us. He, he has a, a purpose, a plan, a will, a destiny for all of our lives. That's why Jesus prayed, leave them here, Father. Don't, don't take them out of the world. He, he, he's got a plan. There's something that he, he wants us to do. I, I shared with you last week one of my favorite verses, certainly one of my life verses, and that was what Acts 13 says about King David. It says, King David did God's will during his lifetime, then he died and was buried beside his ancestors. And to me, that's the finest definition of what a successful life is. You do God's will during your lifetime and then you die. You, you, you do whatever it is that special work is that God has for your life and then you die. I told you last week, I, I just you know, put that on my tombstone. Rick did the will of God while he was on planet Earth, and he died. R Rick did, you know, what God wanted him to do, and then he died. I mean, we're all going to die. The sad thing is, is that too many believers, when, they're die when they die, never fulfill God's purpose in their life. Yeah, they're saved. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and all that stuff, but they never fulfill God's purpose. They don't do God's will while they're here. Last week I gave you three thoughts from the life of Caleb that I think were, were helpful. I know they were helpful uh, as it relates to living out God's will for your life down here on planet Earth. Last week I told you about the idea of believing. You've got to believe that God really is at work in your life. And this is the starting point. You've got to really believe that God is at work in and through you. You've got to believe that. Because if you don't believe that, the chances are, are slim that you're ever going to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Listen to what uh, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I, I pray for you constantly, asking the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with lights so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Here you see the heart of Paul. His heart was, was that we would really understand the power that's within us. At the moment you received Christ into your life, God's Holy Spirit came into you. He indwells you. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And you've got to believe that God's power is in you, wanting to work through you. If you don't believe that, then the chances, as I said, are slim that you'll ever, ever fulfill God's purpose in your life. Number two, last week I told you that you have to have courage. You have to have courage to stand up against any opposition. See, if you make the choice to believe that God is working in and through your life, which then leads you to make the choice to live out God's will for your life or make the choice to you know, live a life that honors God, I guarantee you someone's going to stand up against it. I guarantee it. I shared with you last week, I, I think the devil and the demons are okay with you being here right now. I think they're okay with you singing some songs. I think they're okay with, I don't know, you fellowshipping in the hallways. I think, I think the devil and the demons are okay with you throwing, you know, your offering in the basket. 
What gets the devil and the demons all riled up is when you go, you know what, I think I'm actually going to go out and live this out in my life. That, that's something he doesn't want. Hey, sing all the songs you want. Put some money in the offering basket if that's what you want to do. Walk in carrying your Bibles. In fact, read the Bible. It's when you choose to live it out. It's when you choose to say, God, I am going to live out your purpose in my life. I'm going to live out your will in my life. It's at that moment he'll make sure that there's all kinds of uh, people, circumstances that will come against you. In 2 Timothy, Paul tells us about a man that opposed what God was doing in his life. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. And I, I have a, a number. I, I couldn't count how many Alexander the coppersmiths I have in my own life. Now, they don't do me physical harm like they probably did to Paul. But I, I couldn't count all of the Alexander the coppersmiths who don't like what I stand for, who let me know via uh, emails or you know, private messaging on my Facebook page or whatever it is, how much they don't like the fact that I stand for what, what, what God's word says. I know many of you do also. But I want you to know that if you want to fulfill God's purpose in your life and then die and have that on your tombstone, you got to believe and you got to have some courage because I guarantee you there will be people that will come against you. Number three, I talked about the fact that you got to remain loyal. You got to remain loyal to God as you wait on his timing. I love Numbers chapter 14 where it says, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than others. He has remained loyal to me. He's remained loyal to me. It's one thing to say that you love God. It's one thing to say that you read your Bible. But it's a whole other thing to say, I've remained loyal to the Lord. Just saying you love God doesn't mean you're loyal to him. Just because you uh, read your Bible doesn't mean you're loyal to him. Loyalty is when you actually live it out, when you actually do it. A lot of people say they love God and then they go out and you know, live in crummy, sinful ways. They just brazenly sin. And that's not loyalty to God. But the thing about Caleb was, he was just a, a loyal person. He loved God, and how you know he loved God wasn't that he just said he loved God, but you can see it in his life, how he lived. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That's all about loyalty. I know that you have a will for your own life. I know you have desires. I have them too. But loyalty is saying, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna put my will, my desires over here. And I'm gonna make your will, your desires, the object of my, my love. This is what I'm going to remain loyal to, not my own, my own things. Then I quickly gave you a bonus thought, number four, and that was you got to put some effort into it. And, and I didn't have any time to talk about this, so I'm going to expand on this a little bit more. Uh, Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, keep a close watch on how you live. Keep a close watch on your teachings. Beloved, it's possible to neglect God's calling on your life. 
it's possible not to give any attention to God's will for your life. It's possible not to keep a close watch on how you live. And the reason why it's possible not to do that is because it's not easy. <laughs> It'll take some effort. It's one of the reasons why a lot of Christians never grow in their faith. It's why a lot of Christians, when they die, will never be able to say, you know, uh, what was said about King David, that they lived out God's will for their life, they lived out God's purpose for their life, is because it takes some effort. It's not easy. Especially in the world that we live in today. It's just easier just to kind of go with the flow. And I don't want anybody bugging me. I don't want any Alexander the Coppersmiths after me. Uh, who wants an Alexander the Coppersmith nipping at your heels? I'll just go with the flow. And when you just kind of go with the flow, you'll never fulfill God's purpose in your life. Never. Oh, you can be a Christian. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It's not easy to fulfill God's will for your life. And one of the main reasons that it takes effort is because we still have to deal with our sinful nature. And I want to make sure that all of you understand this. The Bible tells us that after God created the first two human beings, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, 2 and 3, um, he put them in this beautiful garden called the Garden of Eden. And basically said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to take care of all your needs. In fact, look around. Everything you see is for you. As far as the eye can see, it's all yours. Enjoy it. Let's enjoy a relationship with one another. But Adam and Eve, I'm going to ask you just one thing. I'm going to give you one command, okay? I'm God. You're not, obviously, right? That tree right there in the middle, just stay away from that one. Don't eat the fruit from that one. It's the only thing I'm asking you. One simple command. But the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of that fruit and she ate. She exercised her free will in a really crummy way. She also gave some to her husband who was right there with her, and he ate. He exercised his free will in a crummy way. And at that very moment, everything changed. When, when Adam made the choice to disobey God, everything changed. It brought sin into the world. The world became one big civilization of sinners. So one of the things that we all have in common in here is that we're all Sinful. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, when Adam sinned, when Adam ate that piece of fruit, when Adam blew off God and said, God, I don't want to live according to your one command, sin entered the world. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for everyone now has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glorious God's glorious standard. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's paths to follow our own. In other words, we've all become like Adam and Eve. God said, here's the path. Enjoy it. It's all yours. Stay away from that one though, okay? And we all, just like Adam, said, you know what? I appreciate that, God. I appreciate what, what, what you have to say, but I'm going to follow my own path. And we all basically went to the tree. And we all ate. We all disobeyed God. So all of us are sinful, and the only way we could have our sins forgiven was through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 says, For the wages of sin is death. It's spiritual separation from, from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life, a, a brand new life. And this new life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, right? Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. 1 John chapter 5 says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life, the eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God doesn't have the life. It's a pretty simple thing. Um, 
Understanding the Bible isn't like building the space shuttle. If you got a half a cell working, it's easy to understand. Now, there are people out there that try to make it difficult and make it complex. Pretty simple. If you got the sun, you got the life. If you don't have the sun, you don't have the life. There are preachers who can mess that up. I've seen them on TV. And I'll think, man, you took something so simple, and it's, you made it so convoluted, no one even knows what you're talking about, which is exactly what the enemy wants. Now, now, most of us understand this. We understand, you know, sin. We understand the impact that sin had on our lives and all of that. We understand how sin ruined our relationship with God. We understand that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life for us. We understand that Jesus came and he died on a cross for us. We understand that Jesus was put into a tomb and that three days later he walked out of that tomb proving that he was who he said he was, and that was God. We, we all understand that. Most of us in this room, over in the venue, watching online, listening on the radio, we've given our lives over to Jesus. We're followers of Jesus, and someday we're gonna be with Jesus forever in heaven. Okay? We all understand that. But that's not the end of the story. Romans chapter eight gives us some great information. The Bible says, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. You see, you're still you know, taking in air. You're still here on planet Earth. Remember, Jesus wanted you here, and so you're still here. You haven't died yet. And you still have this thing called the flesh, the old man, the old nature, and your flesh is where, where uh, where sin reside, it's the, it's the headquarters of sin. That's what your flesh is. That's why Paul says, no good dwells in my flesh. There's no good in this. This just connects me to the physical. It's like an earth suit. Someday I'm gonna take my last breath and I'm gonna be with the Lord, but this thing doesn't get to go. It's full of sin. It's gonna be uh, cremated, it'll be uh, put in a pine box and buried you know, six feet under the ground or whatever. This doesn't get to go to heaven. Now, when you receive Christ, whoa, the Spirit of God is new, it's inside of you, but you got your flesh. And here's what the Bible teaches. There is this, this war that goes on between your flesh and between the spirit. Your flesh doesn't like God. Your flesh doesn't like Jesus. Your flesh doesn't like the Bible. Your flesh doesn't like the fact that you're here right now. Your flesh doesn't like the fact that you were singing songs. Your flesh doesn't like the fact that you gave an offering. Your flesh doesn't like the, the fact that you're hearing, to the wor hearing the word proclaimed. Your flesh doesn't like any of that. All this to say that it's gonna take some effort to live out God's plan or purpose for your life because sin is, is always lurking in the shadows, if you will. It's always there. <laughs> this side of heaven, it's going to take some effort to be the man, the woman that God wants you to be, the husband, the wife, the, the, the future husband, the future wife that God wants you to be. It's not easy because you got your flesh. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But you also have to deal with your flesh. One of the, the questions I was asked is, is, Pastor Rick, you know, if you could boil it all down into maybe a sentence or two as to what God's will or one of God's major wills or purposes for my life or what's, what's my destiny down here on planet Earth, the reason why Jesus left me, what is that? Uh, how would you boil it down? Well, Romans chapter eight says, or goes on to say, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So I don't wanna give you what I think, I'm just gonna tell you what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that God wants you to become 
more and more transformed into the likeness of his son Jesus. That's what, that's what God's will is for your life. While you're still here, God wants you to become more like Jesus. Now, you're never going to become Jesus. You're never even going to get close to being like Jesus. Not even close. Now, I know some of you think you are, but you're not even close. Okay? But that, that's the standard. See, that, that, that's, that, that's God's uh, uh, will for your life. God's purpose for your life is while you're here that you would become more and more like Jesus. And your flesh doesn't want you to do that. The demons don't want you to do that. And so it's going to take some effort to pull it off. Look, God's will for your life isn't to make you happy or wealthy or keep you in perfect health. His, his will is that your life would be transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. Too many uh, believers have the impression that because they're followers of Jesus, God will make you know, life easy for them or God will give them money or you know, a home or a job and keep them in good health or whatever, and that's not necessarily true. God's way more interested in, in your holiness than he is your happiness, and you ought to write that down. I, I think God wants you to be happy. I, you know, I want my kids to be happy. And I'm one of his kids. I hope my kids are happy. But more than being happy, I want my kids to live holy lives, be righteous people, salt of the earth kind of people, you see. And sometimes when you're, when you're living a righteous life, a holy life, you're being salt of the earth kind of people, uh, you get a lot of Alexander the coppersmiths that, that maybe make life not so happy. And so God's uh, 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 goal, his will for us is that we would be holy like his son was holy. He wants us to be like Jesus. I had a, a man a few weeks ago write me an email, and he was all upset after one of the sermons that, that I preached here a few weeks ago because I hit on the topic of morality uh, pretty hard. And he said, usually when I leave Big Valley Grace, this is a quote, you make me feel better about life and stuff, but this past Sunday I didn't leave feeling better and then he said, and I think you should reconsider. <laughs> and so I wrote back to him, and I said, I want you to know I love you. I love you a lot. But my goal as a preacher is not to get you to feel better. My goal as a preacher is to get you to follow better. See, see that's the thing. Now, sometimes, I, you know, I hope... I hope you leave here sometimes going, man, I felt great, man. I got to worship the Lord and give, and I heard the word, and I'm encouraged, and man, I fellowshiped with other believers, and you know, I hope you feel good. Probably most of the time you go, man, I feel good. But then there are those moments, you know, when the Holy Spirit starts talking to you, and you don't feel very good about it. Because the Holy Spirit in you wants you to be more and more like Jesus. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit's doing his work, it didn't feel very good but it's the very work that needs to be done in your life. Ephesians chapter four says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. This is what God wants from his followers. It's his will that we imitate Jesus, that we be like Jesus, but as I said, it's gonna take some effort. And the reason why it takes effort is because we still have our sinful nature. And it doesn't want to be want you to be like Jesus. Titus chapter two gives us a, a great little bit of information. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And for a lot of us, that grace, we, we, we've received it into our lives, right? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And what's the blessed hope? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the word of God is crystal clear that God wants us to learn to, to, learn to say no to sin because every time you say you know, yes to sin, you're not imitating Jesus. Every time you say yes to sin, you take a step ba uh, backwards in your transformation into the likeness of Jesus. But when you say no, <laughs> or say no, that takes some effort. 
Think about how hard it is when you're on a diet to say no to that piece of pie. Uh, uh, uh. It's just a piece of pie. And every cell in your body is going, eat it, eat it. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a diabetic, and my wife will tell you, she's sitting right down here. There are some nights, you know, and bless my wife's heart, she'll make, you know, stuff for our kids, because they're, they're not diabetics. So why should they all have to suffer because of me, right? So she'll make these fun desserts and stuff, and they'll all be in there eating desserts, and I'll be in the kitchen. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm trying to say no. No, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. But there are times when I say yes. And for like 20 seconds of pleasure, of bliss, it's hours of agony afterwards. Why do I eat that thing? My head's killing me, my gut's killing me. My life's a mess. I can't talk to anybody. I'm rolling around in the bed. <laughs> I'm up all night. For 20 seconds, saying yes just caused me a lot of pain. Now listen, your flesh is powerful. Powerful. Your desires. Saying no on your own is impossible. That's why you have the power of God within you. It's the power of God, tapping into the power of God when sinful things come that you're able to say no, no. God's will for my life is that I be more like Jesus and if I say yes to that, that's gonna make me less like Jesus. No, 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 no. And that's part of the, the reason why God gave us his power, his grace, is that we would learn to say no. But it takes some effort. Now there's another category uh, other than sin that'll mess you up, that will keep you from becoming more and more like Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our, our progress. Weight. There are these weights in our lives that can kind of hinder us from becoming more and more like, like Jesus. Weight, what's a weight? Well, a weight is, it isn't necessarily wrong, something that's necessarily wrong, it's just something that's not necessary. See, a, a weight isn't necessarily something that's wrong, it just isn't necessary. It, it could be a relationship, that'd be a weight. You, you might have a relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, it could be a buddy, you know, someone you're just doing life with, and it's not necessarily sinful or evil, but, but, but it's just not necessary right now. It's a weight uh, around your neck that's keeping you from becoming more and more like Jesus. Could be some hobby. Uh, I think years ago I told you the story. When I first gave my life to Christ, I, I was kind of really into uh, baseball and and uh, really loved softball a lot and and I got involved out at the Rainbow Fields playing a lot of softball and I got involved in uh, uh, traveling teams re really traveled all over the the country all over the United States playing softball and it was a lot of fun I, I enjoyed every every bit of it but uh, I was married to my first wife if you're visiting with with us she a number of years ago, died in a car accident, but we were married, and, and we had a, had a child who was about, you know, three or four at the time, and uh, one day, uh, I'm putting on my uni and put my bats in my bag, and I had to make the drive all the way out to Rainbow Fields, which was about a 20-minute drive, and you got to get there about an hour early to get loose and get warm and stretch out, and then the game takes at least an hour or so, and then afterwards, you hang out and you talk for a while, and, and then it takes 20 minutes to drive home, so you're really blown about three or four hours. And my wife said, you know, when we got married, I was hoping you and I would be able to spend some time together. I don't mind you working at the church. I don't mind you working with young people. It's fantastic and I'm all for it. But, you know, then you come home and you're spending all this time playing softball, blah, 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 blah. 
But my flesh got all goofed up, right? And pride digs in. And man, we had a, we had a real, real good one that night. Man, I played softball. God, you know, throwing out all the stuff. God made me to play softball. And hey, how dare you try to take away softball? It's the one thing in my life I get to do. And I'm making a big deal about this thing, you know. And I go get my little two-door CRX. And I'm making my way out to Rainbow Fields. And now there's only me and the Lord in the car. I don't have to try to be prideful in front of my wife. And the whole way out, man, I'm just getting hammered by the Lord. And by the time I got to Rainbow Fields, I got out of the car, didn't even take my bag, and I walked up to our, one of the many coaches that I had. I mean, I just was playing on a lot of teams, and I said, hey, I want you to know I'm done. And he said, what do you mean, like tonight? You're, you're sick, you're not going to be? No, no, I'm done for good. I'm not playing anymore. And they, we didn't have cell phones, you know, like we do now, and got home, made a few calls to some coaches that I had over in the Bay Area and said, I'm done. No more traveling. None of that. I'm done. And that was, I'm going to say 25 years ago. I've never played in a softball game since. Do I love softball? Absolutely. Did I want to quit playing softball? No. Was, so was softball sinful? No. Was it a weight? Yeah, it was. And every so often, not very often, I'll drive by Rainbow Fields and I see all the, you know, guys out there playing and I think, man, you know, I used to love that. But I had a choice to make. God revealed to me a weight, if you will. I know it was God's will that I, you know, be with my wife. There's a thought. That I'd be home. That I'd be present, you know, there in the house. So I made a decision. I gave away all my softball gear, all my stuff, and never played. Never played again. Some of you have asked me, hey, will you come out and play in our church league games? And I've always said no. Just no. Just, I'd rather just not even do it. It'd be like, it'd be like telling somebody hooked on meth, hey, listen, you can't do meth, but you can do it on Wednesday. <laughs> just, just shoot up. Man, I don't, it's, I just, it's just over. It's just done just done. And I remember going home and telling my wife, and she said, well, I don't want you to, you know, now I feel horrible. I said, don't feel horrible, man. God was speaking through you about a weight in my life. And it's just, you know, the grand scheme of things, being a husband and a father to a new baby, hitting a ball. It's sad how some people make that choice, though. And I'm not saying that's a choice you ought to make. I'm not here to put that template on your life. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just telling you about something in my own life that I had to deal with, a weight in my life that I had to deal with. Could be a, a memory you refuse to let go of. Some of you, man, you, somebody did something to you a year ago, a, a, a decade ago, two decades ago, and you're hanging on to that thing. Yeah, God forgave you of all your sin, but you're not even going to consider forgiving somebody else and you keep that weight around your neck. And it keeps you from being the man, the woman that God wants you to be. It keeps you from growing into the likeness of, of Jesus. It could be some fear. I don't know. It's a job. There, there's a, a thousand you know, different kinds of weights. And if you're serious about fulfilling your God-given purpose in life, you're going to have to cut you know, some stuff out. Not necessarily sinful stuff. Just some, some stuff. I, I, I don't know what it is. So that you can move forward in your transformation, which brings me to number five. If you want to fulfill God's will down here on planet Earth, you've got to recognize those things in your life that weigh you down. Some of you don't even recognize what they are. Psalms 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, the thought there isn't that you're saying, God, you search me, you check me out, see what they're saying. The thought there is he already knows what it is. He, he already knows. You're just saying, God, you search, and then, then tell me what those things are. Sometimes God uh, uses your spouse to tell you what those things are. 
Sometimes God uses your kids to tell you what those things are. Sometimes God uses your parents to tell you what those things are. Sometimes God uses your pastor to tell you what those, sometimes God uses his word, right? Sometimes God uses a message to point out what those things are. Lamentations chapter three says, let us examine our ways, check out our ways, and then let us you know, turn back to the Lord. And the thought there is, is that if you really spend any time at all kind of looking at your life, probably gonna find something. You know what I'm saying? Remember, we got this thing, We're just, it's just here. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, he said, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. That's a good thing to do. Just check out your own life. I think Jesus makes this thought crystal clear in Luke chapter six. He says, and why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, hey friend, let me, take, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, it doesn't say that we can't um, be a blessing to our spouses or our children or our parents or our friends and help them see some of the things in their own life, the weights, the sin. But Jesus says, hey, look, deal with the, the log in your own eye. In other words, you gotta, you gotta look at your own life. You gotta spend some time looking in your own life, examining your own life. I, I heard this story of this older guy. He goes into the doctor, his doc, you know, walks into Dr. Chin's office, you know, kind of a thing. And he says, hey, listen, my, my wife's losing her hearing. And the doc says, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. And the doc said, well, how bad is it? And he said, well, I don't really know. I just know she's losing her hearing. And so the doc says, hey, I'll tell you what, we'll figure this out together. I want you to go home tonight, and at some moment, I just want you to ask her a question. And then if she doesn't answer, you take a couple steps forward, ask the question again. If she doesn't answer, take another you know, step forward or two and ask the question again. If she doesn't get it, keep, keep moving a couple steps forward until she finally responds. Then you come back, tell me how close you had to be, keep the volume the same, and then we'll kind of come up with a plan. The guy goes, great. He goes home and walks into the kitchen and he says, Mary, what's for dinner? Nothing. He takes a couple steps forward. Mary, what's for dinner? Nothing. He takes a couple steps forward. Mary, what's for dinner? Nothing. He takes a couple steps forward. Mary, what's for dinner? Nothing. Now he's right up next to her. Mary, what's for dinner? You know, and the whole time she's just chopping carrots. And she finally turns around and says, for crying out loud, Joe, I've told you five times we're having stew. <laughs> you know, I, I think a lot of times that's exactly how we are. You know, we think our spouse is the one who's got the problem or our children or our parents, when in reality, we don't even realize that it's us. And I think that's why the Bible says, hey, look, look at your own life. I don't know why it is, but I can, you know, spot everybody else's sin at 100 paces. I mean, you even get close to me. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no way. You know, I mean, I, 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 just, I just have this uncanny ability to know what everybody else's troubles are and sin is, you know. The problem is my little sin radar thing, you know, I have a hard time putting it here. It's, a, a, it's just a whole lot um, safer to make sure it's pointed at you. It's safer, it's more comfortable to point it at your spouse, isn't it? It's more comfortable, it's safer, you know, pointing out all the stuff in your kid's life your friend's life, the people in your small group's life. It, it, it gets a little uncomfortable when you point that thing at you. And you really say, God, what is it in my life? What are the weights in my life? Not necessarily sinful things, but things maybe I just need to you know, deal with, cut, cut loose, that I might become more and more like your, your son. 
And then that brings us to, to, to number six. You see, after you've allowed God or your, you know, to kind of reveal some stuff to you, and maybe he uses his spouse, maybe your spouse or your kids or whoever it is, maybe he uses a pastor or a friend, uh, you got one or two choices. You, you, you can either blow that off and say, you know what, I'm not gonna change. I'm not gonna change. And that's what many of you will do. You'll, you'll walk out of here and you listen to truth, and listening to truth's no big deal. Sitting in here for an hour and a half listening to truth is easy. It, it was easy to sit there and listen to Jesus. The hard thing is, is to say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something about the truth that I've heard. And the, the, the last thing I'll say is you've you got to take action when you become aware of those things that are weighing you down. You gotta take some sort of action. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Another way might, he might have said it is, man, I, I just wanna live out God's will. I wanna, I wanna become more like Christ. That's what I want. Everything else is, is just worthless. For his sake I have discarded I've jettisoned, you know, all, everything else, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ. And some things you might, uh, God may reveal to you, just you and him and his word, it might be your spouse. And at that moment, you're wrestling around with the idea that, you know what, this is something that's keeping me from becoming more and more like Jesus, and I'm either gonna cut it loose or I'm gonna hang on to it. And if you hang on to it, you know what? Yeah, you're saved. I, please don't misunderstand me. You're, you'll go to heaven if you know the Lord. But, but you're not going to, you know, fulfill God's purpose for your life. God wants you to, to deal with it. Don't, don't ignore it or deny it. And a couple of things you might do is just, I don't know, come to celebrate recovery on Wednesday nights. A whole bunch of people gather down here singing and dancing to the Lord and then a bunch of guys get together, a bunch of gals get together and it's a moment where they encourage each other. It's a moment where they, where they help each other because they know it's not easy, it takes effort to become like the Lord and that's what they wanna do. And they're there to say, listen, you're gonna take the effort, you're gonna take the action, you need to do this, I'm praying for you and I care about you. Look at the word of God, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to make an appointment with one of our biblical counselors. Maybe you need to go into the altar room and just say, hey, hey, I need, I need some help. Maybe you ought to start going to a men's or a women's Bible study. I, I, I don't know what action you ought to take. I, I don't know what that ought to be. I just know that for some of you when you leave here, really the Holy Spirit's gonna speak to you about taking action. Maybe, you know, when you, when you get knocked down and you realize, man, I, I've just got these things, you got a choice to make. Am I, am I going to get up and, you know, do something or am I not? This past week I found this video. It's real short, about a minute long, 30 seconds long. I want to show it to you. It's really, it's really quite remarkable. Check out the, the, the jumbotrons. Minnesota finished second in this fact a year ago. She was in lane four. And Dornan is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200 meter track here at the field house. What a bold move by Fallon. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fondor moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornan running second. Dornan last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship, so they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend, and she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the Bell Lap. Gordon falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. 
Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dorden is flying down the back She is she catching is, up. She is going to catch Von Dor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. Wow. She's got Von. This is a gutsy effort by Dorden. good oh man I was watching that and here's the deal when, when she falls I thought oh man that's a bummer all of that training see her, her will her destiny she's been training for for years three laps she completes two of them and falls and at that moment she had a choice to make what do I do I could lay here, uh, man, God, why me? All this training, why'd you let it happen to me, you know? Roll off to the side and think, you know, I don't got a chance at this thing. Or I get up and I do something. So I'm watching the video. She gets up. And I'm thinking, good for her. What's the worst case scenario? You know what you tell your kids? I got up. I took some action. I, I, I saw some, something crummy was, was going on in my life, took some action, man. And I'm thinking, you know, I, and then all of a sudden you see her and you, I started going, okay, she passed. Oh, you know what? She's going to be able to tell her kids someday. She took some action and took third place. And she kept going. And she kept going. And she ends up winning that thing. I don't know who that gal is, but you gotta love, you know, her whole mindset. She, 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 she's in a bad place. Some of you are gonna recognize, you know what, I got these weights, I got this sin, I'm in a bad place. And you can stay there lying on the track and do nothing. Or you can say, you know what, God's got a will, a purpose for my life. He left me here for a reason. I'm getting up off the track and I'm gonna get I'm gonna re-enter this race again. I want to become more and more like Jesus. The great apostle Paul penned these words: I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I've kept the faith. And today would be a good day, maybe, for some of you to start the good fight again. Something tripped you up. Some weight tripped you up. Some sins got you tripped up. It's okay. You're still here. And if you'd get up and say, okay, I'm going to take some action, who knows? Who knows what might, might, might happen? 